0: everybody doing this morning? You guys have a good Christmas? Now I'm going to apologize in advance because for the next probably 45 minutes I'm going to pull you out of the spirit of nostalgia and we're going to get you into the purpose of God this morning. Is that all right? So you had a good Christmas. We rejoice in that. We think it's great. But now for the next few minutes I want to, I want to, the thing I appreciate I think so much about Heart of the Father is that the quality of preaching and teaching comes forth is usually designed for your growth, not your comfort. Now, and and it's a fine art because you don't want to, you know, spank or guilt or put condemnation on the body, but you do want to provide enough impetus that rubs people supernaturally because when you're rubbed, you grow. Isn't that right? And so, so, again... The, the goal, when you look at all of, especially the scriptures that talk about when we gather and when we meet, those generally center around the body being edified and built up. But understand, we don't get built unless there's a little hammering that happens, right? Unless there's a little bit of cement that gets put into place. And so what I'm not setting you up for is a really hard message at all, And by the time we're done this morning, I'm going to give you, I believe, what is the heavenly view, heaven looking down at the church, but in order to get there, we're going to have to hit a few bumps in the road, all right? So, you know, what they generally happens, um, about every year, sometime around probably August, September, definitely by October, many... uh, of the prophetic voices in the, the earth will start to, you know, really begin to pray and ask the Lord what he's doing and saying for the year coming up. And in 2019, you, we started to see, I don't know how in the know many of you are and who you follow and who you listen to, but quite a few of them began to say at the end of 2019 that, of course, 2020 was going to be the year of 2020 vision, and we were gonna see perfect vision. Now I'm gonna be honest with you, the cynical part of me, when I heard that initially, thought that was just silly, and it was sorta of, sort of back to you know, where some people in the past would always feel like they had to have something that rhymed with the year, so you know, like 20, 20, or 20, uh, 2007, a taste of heaven, or some kind of little cute thing. And, and I don't really place a lot of stock in a lot of that. I mean, there might be some truth to it. but um, So I'm going to be honest and say that when, when I started hearing the 2020 vision thing, part of me goes, oh boy, here we go. But I think we can all safely say arriving at the last Sunday in 2020 is we in fact did get some perfect vision into a lot of things, and most of us are willing to shut our eyes now. We're tired of seeing a little bit too perfectly. <laughs> So this morning, I want to take a few moments and give you, there would be a plethora of things that we could talk about that we caught a glimpse into this year. And I'm gonna hit the two biggest ones that are the no-brainers, and I wanna speak a little bit into it, I believe, from Heaven's perspective. But then I want to really focus in on and spend some time on what I believe the most glaring thing the Lord allowed us to see in the body of Christ in 2020. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time that I believe what the Lord has opened our eyes to is not the judgment of God. It's not God's mad at the church and God's angry and all this stuff and we've blown away our, you know, our chances for whatever. But I'm, I'm going to tell you that 2020 has been one of the greatest years of the mercy of God and the love of God coming into the church by opening our eyes to what matters to Jesus. So we have an opportunity at the close of 2020, going into 2021, partnering with the head of the church in what he has shown us for 2020. You with me? All right, so let me do this. So a couple of things. The no-brainers, let's get those out of the way. 2020 greeted us in March with essentially a global pandemic. Now, I know you're sick of hearing it. I, I know I am too, but we, we need to spend a few minutes talking about it and finding Jesus in it. And so one of the most glaring realities that came out of COVID-19, I believe happened in the month of March when you saw something really dramatic that we have most of us have not seen in our lifetime. Let me give it to you. On March the 1st, 99% of the churches in America were all meeting in person. On March the 8th, one week later, 95% of the churches were meeting in perfect person. On March the 15th, three weeks later, 64% of the churches were meeting in person. On March 22nd, 11% of the churches in America were were meeting in person. And then by March 29th, the end of the month, only 7% of the churches in, in America kept their doors open and the rest of them closed. Now, I don't, for a moment, begin to try to oversimplify what happened here, because every leader in every church found themselves in a really tough position. And I just want to take a moment and say that what happened here at Heart of the Father, in my opinion, and what I discern in my spirit, was probably some of the best leadership you've seen in America, and here's why because you had an eldership that heard by the Spirit and saw what was happening. And it was so funny. I'm going to let you, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit and let you see something maybe some of you didn't see. At the time, um, Barry and I both were teaching in Maranatha. I was teaching a class on transformational leadership and, and Barry was teaching um, some classes on Bible doctrine. And What I noticed when that happened, when we started going through and COVID started to hit, I saw this real staunch resistance rise up in Barry's heart. And I remember thinking when that happened, and what was the resistance to? The resistance was letting some external thing dictate and govern the life of the body. Can I just tell you that is real leadership. Every leader should be be standing at the gates looking to see what's trying to open or influence the gates of a body. And real elders will stand up and immediately begin to start to see, is this from the Lord or from the enemy, and what's God doing, and most specifically, what is God saying in it? And so I remember thinking, Barry came out so aggressive on it in our, in our private conversations, that I thought, man, I, I remember praying, asking the Lord, is he hearing from the Lord or not? And, and I'm going to tell you, or is this just some kind of a personal pet peeve that was coming out of, you know, you know, Barry's personal conviction? And, you know, as I prayed it through and kind of wrestled it through in my own heart, I began to sense and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in the voices of our eldership here. And what I began to recognize, I felt the grace come into me, because ordinarily I'd be like most of everybody else. Man, why can't you just shut it down? This is a good opportunity to binge Netflix and do a little bit of covidcation and just still be a little bit of relaxing, but no good leaders wouldn't let us do that. Right? They'd call us out of that. But anyway, what ended up happening is the elders got together and they started to realize that wisdom would be served by absolutely not allowing any kind of worldly influence to shut down a church. Now, I know this is probably going to start to rub some of you the wrong way, and it's going to start hitting some of the the ideological positions that we carry. But I'm telling you, from, um, from a biblical perspective, there should be no outside influence other than the voice of Jesus dictating the behavior of the people of God. Thank you, all four of you. Again, let me tell you that no one gets the right to dictate the life of the people of God except the head of the church, which is Jesus. And so in that, what ended up happening is the elders came out and they said, well, I believe operating in a spirit of wisdom, they said, we will keep the doors open, but no condemnation whatsoever. Based on your conviction, we don't put anyone in the place where you have to choose and feel guilty for what you chose. And so what we did is we kept the doors open, and we said we've always live streamed like we normally do. And then in the process of that, we also uh, allowed us to gather in small groups because at the time that was the guidance that the CDC was offering. Don't gather in groups of more than, I think it was six. And then when you do that, social distance. So there wasn't a sense of defiancy because we believe we are... Uh, more you know more qualified to make decisions there wasn't a, a heart to defy the government or to dishonor Trump or dishonor anything like that there was as leaders who represent the leadership of Jesus what is our leader telling us that is what every leader in America should be asking right now what is the head of the church saying not what your governor or your president or anyone else Now, that may not be popular, but again, Jesus is the head of the church, not a man. And those who are submitted in their leadership to that head are responsible to follow his lead in as much as they discern it and understand it. So what we had happen here was we had a situation where in all of this, a leadership started to hear the voice of God We had a place where, in wisdom, they allowed an opportunity for everyone to step in and to continue to participate without trying to just be flagrantly, uh, you know, stiff-necked or um, recalcitrant, so to speak. But what we did, and so as a result of that, Heart of the Father was one of those 7% of churches that stayed open. And what was the result? The people that were hurting, many people that were hurting, confused, disoriented, Ended up here in this building while we were open. You ask, you ask some of uh, the elders, they'll tell you. I, I think, I, and Barry, am I right? I think our giving went up. Not that that's the measure. I think our attendance went up. Not that we're attractional and trying to grow a big church at the expense of a crisis. But I'm telling you, the fruit of it was our hearts were to never have the doors of a building, to lose one opportunity where someone could wander in and come in contact with the kingdom of God and leave having said the kingdom has come near to you. Amen. So what, what COVID showed us more than anything, and there's a lot, and I realize that I run the risk of oversimplifying this because because COVID has a global consequence. It has a global, its reach is all around the world. Its impact is impacting every nation of the world. But can I submit to you the part that I want to talk about is how COVID has influenced and putting pressure on a church. And in my opinion, I'm going to tell you that it's good pressure. It's good pressure. It causes us to redefine who we are, and it causes us to begin to look at and to come back into alignment where potentially we have been out of alignment with the head of the church. Because in every generation, in every chapter of the Bible virtually, you are going to see an ecclesia of God standing strong and being challenged to hold the line and stand strong and remain faithful to Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And what we began to see is a real push, and I believe it was, well, I won't go there, but I believe one person, one politician said it best, that we shouldn't waste a good crisis. And I would add that where there isn't one, let's create one. And so in the process of all that, what we have to realize is that it is no less true today that through the ecclesia of God, we demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God that through the church and through Jesus' active leadership, through the ecclesia, we continually be and we are a witness of how wise God is in in and through our obedience to what he's saying and how he's leading. You guys with me? The second thing, of course, is the one that we still find ourselves enthralled in, and that's in an election cycle. What I think is fascinating, the the second big vision that God, I believe, has allowed us to get a glimpse into is just how divided we really are as a nation. And I'm not even talking about politics. I'll give you a few stats here in a moment, but I'm talking about how divided we really are as a church where you've got some people on one side proclaiming that they have to the word of the Lord and some on the other side proclaiming that they have the the word of the Lord. But here's the funny thing about truth. Truth is truth. And in order for something to be true, everything else has to be wrong. So, So again, what I would say there is that we caught a glimpse. We're seeing an ugly, ugly look into what governs the nation and the world right now. And I'm not making a political statement about Trump. I'm, I'm telling you that through this whole situation, we are getting a firsthand glimpse into dynamics that are happening at a global level. And I wanna encourage you that rather than look away You should look deep into it and this should be a matter of continual prayer in your life and coming into and discerning what God is saying in the midst of it because Jesus is never silent. He always has something to say and what he's saying is always gonna be in alignment with what the Father's purpose is. You with me? So uh, one couple statistics which are pretty interesting. The latest poll I think showed that 30 percent, somewhere between 30 to 20 percent, and there's a, you know, significant margin of error there, but but it's safe to say that somewhere between 20 to 30 percent of all Democrats believe that this election was stolen. Now, that's Democrat people. Um... Out of those that say we are unaffiliated with any political party, 39 to 29% say it's extremely likely that this election was stolen. Out of Republicans, of course, that's going to be a no-brainer. 75% of all people who identify as a Republican believe that this election was stolen and that, there was, that it was rigged and that there was a lot of things, a lot of shenanigans that happened. And then lastly, out of all voters everywhere, 47 to 36% believe that this election was stolen. So what does that really tell us in terms of where we are as a country? It means that there's a lot happening in the political realm. And what I'm not going to do is necessarily try to get us into a political discussion but one thing I do want to say that I think has become startling in all of, the, all of it is this one thing, is that the, the debate has gone forth now, and you've got Christian against Christian arguing whether or not Christians should be involved in politics. Now, I'm going to say one, one thing, and then I'm going to read a couple of quotes to you But may I submit to you this morning that if Christians are not supposed to be in politics, you would not have a constitution, you would not have a country. One person said it this way. The American government and constitution is the most precious possession which the world holds next to the Bible. Why? Or which the future can inherit. This is true. True, because the American system is the political expression of Christian ideology. Now, are, am I saying we're a Christian nation? No, but I'm saying that our Constitution was inspired by God-fearing people, many of them who were God-fearing, and they wrote within the Constitution out of Christian values, and many can be t- taken directly out of Scripture. I'll give you a couple. But another, one, another quote states this, that the founders believed that God was involved in America adopting the Constitution because it contains many biblical principles of good governance found straight out of the Bible. Here's a couple of them. Last quote, the preamble of the Constitution reveals the biblical purpose of government as expressed by the Apostle Paul and Peter one to establish justice, First Peter two fourteen, to establish domestic tranquility, First Timothy two one through two, to provide for the common defense and for, to promote general general war, or welfare, Romans thirteen verse four, and to secure the blessings of liberty, which I would argue is most made out of Galatians. And so, in that while. We have to understand that and I can't really spend all of our time talking about politics. That's another message or series of messages later. But here's the thing I can tell you. That the moment Christians retract and stop exerting heavenly influence in the world, we're in trouble. Now, I'm not saying that we're called to be all political because again, the idea that we're called to politics, we're really only called to influence every place there is influence, and we bring the kingdom of God with us. If all you are is a political hack, you've missed the thing entirely. Because I don't look for a candidate, I don't look for a position, I don't look for a party, I'm constantly asking God what he's doing and how I can partner with that in the voting booth. Now I can tell you God will never wink at injustice and God will never say there's ever an opportunity where it's okay to take a life through abortion. So that right there narrows down the the, the, the landscape for me, but I can tell you there is not an election cycle that goes by, there is not any kind of a political or civil thing that goes by where I as a believer am not asking the Lord what he's doing and how I should partner with what he's doing in the midst of it, all right? All right? Let me give you a few scriptures, and I'm going to move on. A quick look into a biblical view of politics, and I'm going to just run through them. Romans 13.1, we know this. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. That gets trotted out a lot. But listen to the second half, which I think sometimes we neglect. The second half is, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, I'm going to argue that that deals more with the function and the office more than it often does with the person. God instituted authority, and he he, he does that. But we're going to read a couple of other scriptures but if God institutes authority, anything that God institutes, the people, involved, people of God are engaged in where he's instituted something. I, I was telling, and again, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to make this big political point this morning, but I have never in my life seen the amount of Bible-believing and sometimes tongue-speaking deeply sincere, committed Christians that have surrounded President Trump. They're at every level influencing. His legal team right now, Jenna, is probably one of the most powerful Christians that's making a stand for Christianity while she's advocating for Trump. And what I'm seeing is is that Christians everywhere feel the call and begin to partner with the Holy Spirit, because he is actively leading through the church. And as we're going to see here in a few other passages of Scripture, even though we are in the world and not of it, we are absolutely called to release his influence into the world. To, to, to think that we're not called to do that fails to discern that the, last, the great commission that he gave to us Go into all the nations, go into every ethnos, go into every nation of the world. First, that recognizes national identity, that nations have boundaries, and that they have, in in some sense, been appointed by the Lord. The Lord did that. But then it also recognizes that we are called to make disciples, so our first calling, of course, is to call people, but not to tell them that it's their best life now, necessarily, but to call them to obedience to Christ. We're not even preaching the gospel unless you're calling people to obey and you're unapologetic for that. And so 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says, first of all, I urge that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. It is 100% spiritual for you to exercise heavenly influence through your prayer life on every authority that's in operation in this earth today. You should be praying for your elders. Releasing authority and releasing wisdom and releasing all that they need to lead, accurately lead. We should be doing that at every level where there's authority. We should be influencing them primarily first through our prayer life. Psalm 33 says something powerful. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now we know that Psalm 33 is talking specifically to Israel, yet it reveals a principle that's powerful, that a nation who as a nation has welcomed and embraced the headship of Christ and have submitted to the Father is a blessed nation indeed. Why wouldn't every Christian in America want that for this country? The idea of separation in church and state is one of the most carnal pieces of nonsense you'll ever hear. Because scripture right here says that a nation that embraces the Lord as God is blessed indeed. I didn't say that, the Bible did. So God recognizes nations and he recognizes his purpose for nations. Now, Daniel has a really powerful statement to make. He says in Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. I see within that verse, without trying to go into deep exposition, I see two things. I see the hand of the Lord raising up kings and taking them down, and I see everybody else partnering with the wisdom of God and the understanding of God in it. Proverbs says, Promotion comes neither from the east or the west, but God raises up one and casts down another. And the responsibility of an ecclesia is, who is under the leadership of Jesus as we are continually partnering with God to pray his will into the earth. That means it requires that you and I, both as believers and as a body, we have to be in sync with Jesus as the head. Lastly, two more, Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking, well, that refutes your point. It doesn't make it, Derek, but not true at all. And I liken this back to understanding this passage this way. The old, several generations probably before you, I don't know how many of you have ever heard this, but I heard it a lot growing up. Oh, you're just too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Can I just tell you that that's straight out of the pit, And if that falls out of your lips, you're agreeing with demons. Can I just tell you that right now? Because here's why that's true. This is not true. Because the Bible says to set your thoughts or your affections on what's above. And we aren't any earthly good unless our thinking, our soul, unless every part of us has been elevated into heavenly places. We will be no earthly good. We'll be sought. That's cast aside, that that has lost its saltiness, Come on, Derek. and so in that, what we have to realize is the only way we can influence a world system that is largely being driven by hell. Is that we ascend into heavenly places and become seated in heavenly places in the reality of our lives and the way that we conduct ourselves as an ecclesia of God, ecclesia being the Greek word that we commonly translate as church. But the only way that we can accurately begin to rightly influence this earth with the kingdom is to become too heavenly minded so that we're no earthly good. And Jesus said it best. He that's from the earth speaks and has authority that's delegated from the earth. But the Son of Man comes, the one who's from heaven, comes with a heavenly authority, and he speaks with an authority that supersedes that of the earth. And so you want to be too heavenly minded so that the authority that you speak out of is heavenly wisdom and heavenly authority, not earthly. Because if it's only earthly, it's just politics. But if it's heavenly, blessed are you because the kingdom of God has come near to you. And blessed are they because when the kingdom of God begins to manifest through you, you will manifest that kingdom in the earth to the people that are around you. All right. Now we're moving on from politics. So now here's what I really wanted to say. The last thing, actually, I'm going to have to give you one more. The biggest, so those are two things that the Lord gave us, I believe, 2020 vision into. Now, the one, this last one, is really, I believe the Lord gave us a front row seat and he helped us to see the glaring condition of the American church. Now, what I'm not going to do is spend the next 30 minutes berating Jesus' bride. We're not going there. But I'm going to have to give you some statistics that are mind-blowing. Barry, if you haven't seen this, it's going to blow your mind. The headline in one of the articles states it this way, where they were a series of, you know, they're constantly polling and doing surveys and doing research. The results of one of these studies that were done, the headline read this. American Christians are redefining the faith. Let me interpret that for you. Let me say it this way, that there are large segments of the American church that are living totally out of sync with the head of the church. To such degree that where the life of God that flows through the head no longer flows through a body, they will redefine the faith. Are you listening to me this morning? And so here's a couple of quotes. This one came from Barna, the same article, and he says this, we are experiencing another reformation and it's not a good one. The next one says, Unlike the Protestant Reformation, whose goal was a return to the foundational teachings of the Bible, this modern movement is one where Americans are redefining biblical beliefs according to secular values. Dramatic pause so that can sink in. Let's just have a moment of silence where you hear that. Let me tell you what that means. That means that the voice that's influencing Christians the most isn't the one coming out of the pulpit. That means that in order for Christians to be able to start to redefine the faith, that means you're listening to a spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. That doesn't necessarily mean, and this is where I think we make some big mistakes, that does not necessarily mean that the preacher standing in your pulpit, for those of you who are listening on Facebook and those of you who are here at Heart of the Father, that does not necessarily mean that the people who are preaching truth to you aren't preaching truth. It just means that most of these people are listening and giving more credence to someone else other than the people that are preaching truth. This is, last quote here, rather than transforming the culture around them with biblical truth, the opposite is happening. American Christianity is rapidly conforming to the value systems of a post-Christian secular culture what is a post-Christian secular culture? I'll just say it to you really simple. It is a gospel of humanism that people began to believe rather than the true gospel of self-denial that the Bible calls us to. Now, here's a few statistics that are going to be mind-blowing. First, among evangelicals, The studies show that evangelicals are embracing humanism or secularism at an alarming rate. In fact, 52% of all evangelicals reject absolute moral truth. What does that mean? That means that to the Bible-believing, authentic disciple of Christ, we hear resonating within our spirits by virtue of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying them by your word because your word is truth. Let, every, let God be true. Let every other man be a liar. That anything God says is absolutes. There are no differing interpretations of that. And that in order for something to be true, it has to be absolute. There is no such thing as truth that is an absolute. And so understand that we live in an age where statistically, because in one sense we are evangelical. That means that out of this group, in this building right now, potentially some of you in this room potentially believe that there is no absolute truth, that it really comes down to my truth versus your truth. And as you check yourself and as you think about what I'm saying, understand that if you believe that, you deny the superiority of Scripture and your claim to walk with God is suspect. Because in order for you to receive Christ and become his disciple, you have to acknowledge that he is the way, the truth, and the life. 61% of evangelicals do not even read the Bible on a daily basis. And I would wager that the percentages are still going to be high that they don't read their Bible weekly or even monthly. Some probably haven't even read it in a year. But 69 or 61% of the people that call themselves evangelical Christians do not even read the Bible on a daily basis. And here's the scariest one of them all. 75% of all evangelicals believe that people are basically good. Now, can I just tell you something right now? If you believe that people are basically good, you deny the truth of Scripture. Because one writer said it in the Bible, there is no good thing that dwells in me apart from Christ. And that if you believe that people are inherently good, you do not believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Now I'm saying that not to make you mad or be intentionally provocative, I'm saying that if you believe this, you should let the truth of Scripture this morning rub you the wrong way and rub you in the truth and out of deception. Thank you, all two of you. All right, now just when you think that because we are Pentecostal or charismatic, we are immune because the baptism of the Holy Spirit protects us. In fact, the opposite is true. Evangelicals are in trouble at one level, but the Pentecostal and charismatic community took that a step further. They went further into deception. The statistics show that 69% of all Pentecostals and charismatic reject absolute moral truth. And I just wonder I know Barry would agree with me, and I just wonder if maybe part of that reason is you're buying too many books on Amazon. Come on, somebody. <laughs> As opposed to the 50 percent 52 percent of evangelicals that reject absolute moral truth, 69 percent of Pentecostals and charismatic reject absolute moral truth. So what are we talking about here? That means that 69 percent of Pentecostals and Charismatic among those believe on some level, many of them, that in certain situations, abortion is okay. That means truth is relative to the situation, not because it's absolute. That means that, that in certain situations, while we would ordinarily say something's wrong, but in certain situations, it can become right. That means that we don't really carry biblical values We carry values that are shaped by secularism and humanism, which here's the really dirty secret about that. It really doesn't even originate from us. It originates from principalities, powers, and cosmic dominators in the spirit realm. The other statistic here is that it goes along with what I said. 54% out of that 69% Are unwilling to define human life as sacred, with half claiming that the Bible is actually ambiguous in its teaching about abortion. That means that, again, 54% of the charismatic Pentecostal movement believe that the Bible is ambiguous about abortion. Folks, that is deception. Do you understand that, that, that in order for you to come to that belief, you have to systematically and categorically reject the authority of the Bible? And then the last one, well, two more. 69% of all Charismatics and Pentecostals say, I, I just, I'm like, what are, what's going on? 69% say that they prefer socialism to capitalism. And then lastly, because of the nature of the questions in the survey and many of the, um, the uh, baseline questions that they ask in the survey, A full 45% of the survey that Pentecostals and Charismatics took, a full 45% of them, based on how they answered the question, are not even qualified to be be called born-again Christians. That means that out of 69% of the people that took the survey, 45% of them, based on the confession out of their mouth, cannot accurately and authentically claim that they are saved and that they are true disciples of Christ. Now, that means that on average, and it can be higher and lower depending on where you are, that very possibly means that even here at Heart of the Father, there are, in all instances, people that believe they're saved because they come to a church service, not but because the consistent evidence of their life demonstrates and proves that they have a heart that is pointed toward the will of God. Now I say that to offer no condemnation here because we can remedy that pretty quick this morning. But again, you should go into every nation teaching them what? To obey my commandments. And my obedience is the truest evidence of my claim. All right? Lastly, there are mainline Protestants. This is just the broadest group of all of them. And you mix them all in here. It's everybody that's essentially not Catholic. They go on to say they're the most secular of all of the faith families. They've gone the furthest away from, in my opinion, Jesus the head. These mainline Protestants, 60%, well over half, mainline Protestants beliefs directly conflict with biblical teaching. Many of them are ordaining homosexual priests that are actively involved and engaged in a homosexual lifestyle. Uh, I've heard not too long ago that some of them now transgenders, they're starting to ordain transgender. And again, there is no hate or animosity coming toward people who wrestle with that. But at the same time, we can show you compassion, we still have to call you into obedience, and then we still have to help you see that the love of God doesn't leave you where you are. He calls you into holiness. But understand that this is no longer, we are on the precipice here. And I hope you realize this. There's no judgment. I'm not mean. I'm not angry. I'm not trying to be judgmental or critical. I'm telling you that 60% of Protestants are abandoning and categorically rejecting Christ and still remaining religious. That, that, that right there should wake the church up to realize, especially, I said this one time in another church, and I just used this more as an illustration one time, when we talk about 10 virgins, five having their oil lamps lit, and the other five not, without trying to go into a lot of deep, Um, exegesis on that what if we looked at it at a very practical realistic way and we said it this way that if there are 10 versions and five were ready and five weren't could that possibly mean that potentially half the people we're going to church with aren't even saved because it's not about do you have the holy spirit you had no holy spirit at all it's not about do you speak in tongues it's about did the holy spirit come into you and make his home in you because you had a true conversion experience, as evidenced by the fact that your heart is now postured to walk in obedience to the Lord. And so, while I'm saying that American Christianity is in trouble, now the good news is is I make a big distinction between American Christianity and God's authentic ecclesia, because the good news is is that God has His elect. And they're in every generation, and until he comes back, there will not be the elect in the earth, because when we're no longer here, uh, this world's in trouble. Now, I want to say, I said all that, now I'm going to start to get you over into a good place, but I said all that to bring attention to the biggest thing that we need to look at as we leave 2020 and we step into 2021 It's this, the chronic thing that Jesus as the head of the church is exposing right now, he's done it all throughout this year and even right now at the sound of my voice, he's continually doing it right now and he's simply saying this and he's showing us as the people of God who are not living in sync with the head and are out of touch with the head that means that there are a lot of places that say we are a church that jesus is not present in their midst that mean we we the good part of us the, the thing that that where god's come in and he's begun to transform our hearts it makes it hard for us to want to see something that negative, but I'm telling you, in America, where they're in some cities, there are streets, there are churches on just about every street corner, many of these places, Jesus hasn't been present for some time now. I heard a man say it this way: that When God rejects something, it's not always that he rains fire from heaven or he floods it or or there's some big dramatic judgment that he pours on it. I would argue that the greatest judgment in the world we could experience is for Jesus to walk away from something and simply ignore it. And so... You and I can look on and not with critical or self-righteous eyes, we can begin to grieve in our heart for some that are stuck in religious gatherings and Christ is far from them. In fact, there are multiple times in scripture where Jesus even rebukes said your gatherings are a stench in my nostrils. But so what I want to call us to for these next few moments, and then I'm going to end it, we're going to end it this morning, and I'm going to give in you, I want to give you a heavenly view of what it looks like with Jesus as the head of the church, and a church or an ecclesia that's totally in sync and in oneness with that head. So just stay with me a few more minutes. One of the things that we can see that's so powerful in John 15 is Jesus is getting ready to step into the fullness of his mission. He spends those last moments with his 12, and out of those moments, we hear one of the most powerful prayers that's ever been prayed in the earth. I think about some of the things that Jesus prayed while he was here, and I cannot help but think in my soul that when those words left the mouth of the King of Kings on this planet that something in all of creation had to ripple and shake because the words of eternity were released verbally and audibly in the earth through the Messiah. I can't help but wonder that when Jesus said, make them one as you and I are one, that there was something that was released, a grace, an impetus, an agency, a power that was released to call his ecclesia into true oneness with the King of Kings. Amen. And that what one of our greatest challenges is, is to, is to, is to get completely in sync and in step to be one step, not to be in unity, but to be in oneness, where there is no distinguishing characteristic between us together. Maybe the, one of the best ways, but maybe the, one of the worst ways to understand that is the concept of the Trinity. Three separate and distinct persons, yet are one. I can't explain to you how that works because there's nothing in creation that can help me show you what it means to be three separate and distinct persons, yet not three gods, not many gods, one God who are one. And in the same respect, in a sense, we are that way because our oneness with with Christ, with the head of the church, is to be so complete that there aren't any seams, that there aren't any really places where we're kind of out of sync. His goal, and I believe what he released in that prayer is that he's calling us to oneness with the head and in as much as our hearts stay faithful and to stay pointed and we enthrone Christ as the center of it all, he calls us and releases the ability for us to step into that oneness. And so we see it in Acts 1. Verse 14, he says, all these continued together in prayer with one mind. Together with the women, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. But what are we saying in one fourteen? They continued together in prayer. Everybody wasn't just often, you know, having soaking and we're off in different places in the building. And we're just kind of contemplating and, you know, just kind of experiencing something. No, they gathered together in one place. They were submitted to the head. And the power of the Holy Spirit was able to take a group of people and bring them all into the same mind so that what what was coming out of their mouth was a 100% accurate expression of what was coming out of Jesus' mouth who was praying for them in heaven. The most beautiful part of ecclesia, when when we do this thing right, is that the body begins to resonate by the power of the Holy Spirit. We begin to speak what's coming out of the high priest's mouth in heaven right now. When we begin to pray, we don't just pray our prayers and we don't pray according to what we think. There's something in us that begins to touch God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and we get in sync with Jesus and we begin to pray alongside of him and we begin to release into the earth what he's releasing into heaven in our prayers. Every time we have a prayer meeting, and I used to hate this so much. You know, in some church, I'm sorry, I probably, probably shouldn't say it that way, but it used to aggravate me so much. We go into prayer meetings and they write all these little prayer things on it. I just can't stand. Because what that does, we'll write our little prayer things, everybody, we're gonna pray about these 10 things. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but what that doesn't do is it doesn't posture the body who comes in, and it doesn't put them in the place where we're all learning to discern and hear the voice of God and to begin to pray out of what the Spirit is evoking in us to pray. And the best thing we could do is not just call prayer meetings where people pray. The best thing we could do is to raise up a body full of intercessors who learn how to intercede and partner with Jesus, the high priest. That takes some effort. It takes training. It takes, I get it. But, we, but I, see, I see for heart of the Father, and I'm gonna leave you just maybe with one word here at the end. Now I'm gonna say it to you right now. sitting over here in worship, and I just heard just as clear as day that for 2021, God is going to begin to pull heart of the Father toward heaven. He's not gonna bring heaven down here He's pulling you toward it. And what does that really mean? That means that he's going to begin to release a oneness and a cry, not just for revival and not just for reformation and all the other things that are popular that get talked about, but what God really wants, as according to what Scripture says, is he wants a body whose minds and whose thoughts and affections have been pulled entirely up into heaven. That they began to see and operate not from their own political ideologies or their own opinions that they exalt and idolize many times over scripture as we have shared, but that he pulls and creates for himself a body where Jesus is the central part of that where the entire body has been completely organized and oriented around Jesus as the center. And then out of that, he begins to pull an entire group of people heavenward and we begin to influence, not because it's the good thing to do, but because the kingdom of God becomes so rooted and established in us as we are seated in heavenly places that we can't help take heaven everywhere we go and everywhere we live. Can I just tell you that when Jesus is truly the head, worship changes. Can I just tell you that when Jesus has truly established himself as the head, you will stop singing about half the songs that we sing in worship movements today. Why? Because if we really believed, and I'm not, I'm not going after it necessarily worship people today, but I'm just gonna tell you this. If you really believe that Jesus was sitting here on the front row, you wouldn't sing half the songs you sing right now. If God were able to somehow, like He did John, come up here, and suddenly you find yourself in the throne room of God, and the most magnificent creatures that everything, every action they take emanates worship to the worthy one, I guarantee you, you will not spend even 98% of that time singing about yourself. Either we believe it or we don't. And so what I'm saying is that when Jesus becomes the head, and I'm not trying to make a statement about worship per se, what I'm saying is, more than anything, that much of what happens in worship is an evidence that Jesus really isn't the center among us because when he is, it's like the one songwriter said, there's a man on the throne and every eye is on him, not each other. So in Acts one, we start it with, they were all praying in one mind. In Acts two, What many would call the inauguration of Jesus' ecclesia that he said he was going to build, we find the words, they were all in one accord. They were all in one place of one mind. They were gathered. I don't go to church, I am the church. Wrong? Stop letting demons talk through you. Because in order for you to be authentically part of an ecclesia, you have to gather. The word ekklesia means an assembly, a community gathered around Christ as the head. And what I'm going to say to you is we see at the very beginning of Scripture, they were, the Spirit had brought them into one mind and they were one accord. If we fast forward all the way from Acts and we go all the way to Revelation, then we see that Jesus is able through his ministry and in his active leadership in the church to work because the Bible says he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. It's his faithfulness and his ability as God to come through and make this cry happen that when at the end of the age, when he's getting ready to come back, There will be a bride that is in such unity with the Holy Spirit and the head that the Holy Spirit will begin to put a cry in their heart, say, come, and the Spirit and the bride in unity and oneness will call for the King of Kings to come back and he will come. That is the level of oneness that you and I should have our sights set on, that we are so in sync, we are in so, one writer, one New Testament writer said it this way, that we should walk in step with the Holy Spirit, that as we're walking, that our steps should be within his footprints, that we don't misstep, that we're stepping exactly where he's stepping. Now, is that easy? No. It's incredibly difficult, but it's achievable because Jesus prayed it in John 15 that that our gaze our glance everything about us should be gazing on the one who's sitting on the throne and nothing else Acts 4:23 is another really powerful statement the holy spirit falls Peter and John Peter stands up starts preaching the gospel and of course that makes governing officials mad because the kingdom of god is coming and his government his kingdom is being revealed through what they're preaching, and it's challenging and essentially indicting the worldly kingdom, the very one that crucified Jesus. And then you see them brought in, and they get reprimanded. And then in Acts 4.23, they're released. And Peter and John, it says in verse 23, went to their fellow believers and reported everything that the high priests and the elders had said to them, Verse 24, when they had heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind. Think about what just happened here. They were in step with the Holy Spirit, they come back, they begin to declare, and suddenly a sound began to rise up out of the spirits of all that were gathered in that ecclesia, and they began, they were of one mind. We can only become of one mind When we submit to the Holy Spirit, it's only the Holy Spirit that can bring us into one mind. If it's not the Holy Spirit, it's the Tower of Babel, and we're all just babbling a bunch of stuff. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he, through his agency, all he needs is our submission. He needs our outright submission to obey and to begin to step in sync with him. And suddenly, he begins to release a cry within the church. And of one mind, they began to pray. And you know what happened? In verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God courageously. See, there are these moments in time, and this happens in a church, in an ecclesia, that's living in sync with the head. At no time Does the Lord want you to be caught unaware? The ones that are caught unaware are the ones that are living out of step with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, the high priest, is constantly speaking. He's speaking through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And what happened in Acts 31 is that they prayed in oneness with the Holy Spirit and partnered with heaven through their prayer lives. The Bible says that the place was shaken. Now, I don't know if that was a physical shaking shaking, or that the atmosphere had so transformed that the Holy Spirit had released such a boldness that the, that the manifestation of that is everyone went out of there speaking the, speaking the word of God with a supernatural courage. So I want to wind down with this. If you don't remember anything else that I talk about this morning then I want you to hear that the challenge that's going forth right now is Jesus is saying, he that has an ear, let him hear. You need to come back into alignment with the head of the church. That every church in America has a place and really around the world has an obligation right now at the beginning of 2021 to fall on your knees and to reevaluate whether or not you are truly in step with the head of the church. In Colossians 1.17, it says that Jesus is before all things and he actively holds all things together. That means how I interpret that, and Barry can correct me later if I'm wrong, but how I interpret that is Jesus is actively holding this whole thing together. That means that the one holding it together ultimately is in charge of the outcomes. And so what that also means is that you and I, in as much as we are assembled as an ecclesia, we have to be assembled around the one who is before all things. In Ephesians 5.25, I love how Paul does this, but he wraps the eternal purpose of God inside of the understanding of marriage. That within a marriage, we see what the eternal purpose of God is throughout all of eternity. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. What he's saying there is, and the best understanding is yes, it's leadership, but the metaphor that we miss in Western thinking a lot of the times, but the Hebraic mind would show it to you a little more clearer, is that the head is the source of life, that the supply, the flow of life flows through the head. And just as Jesus his life and his supply flows through the head to the body. And as long as and as much as the body stays connected to the head, his life will flow through us and we will stay in sync with his leadership. But the moment we decide to no longer allow him to be, be the head, and I would submit to you, and this is going to be a little tough, but I would submit to you is where a church has been ordered around the people, Jesus is not the head. Believe it or not, you're not the center of everything God's doing, his son is. The good news is he calls us as inheritors to what he's given his son, but again, churches shouldn't base their culture on what pleases you, they should base their culture on what pleases God. to use a terrible analogy, that's akin to the, prison, the prisoners, the inmates running the prison. And what I mean by that ultimately is that oftentimes our desires more often than not compete with God's. That's why we have to order around his son and not ourselves. All right, let me, let me land this plane. I feel like we're running out of gas. So John, John 15, he uses another illustration. First he's saying, I'm the head, you're the body, stay connected to the head. And then he switches over in John 15 to another metaphor, and he says, oh, you guys hear that right there? We're going terminal, that's to remind me that it's noon, and that if I don't stop soon, you guys are going to get mad at me. All right, so I will, I will end it here, but here's what I want to say, in John 15, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. Listen to this. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. May I submit to you this morning that the reason so many ecclesia are doing nothing is they really are existing apart from him. He goes on to say, if anyone does not remain in me, what does that mean? If anyone does not continue to keep me as the head, he is thrown out like a branch and dries up and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and are burned up. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you why aren't we seeing the ask whatever you want and it will be done for you? Because we're disconnected from the head. Because when we're truly connected, when we're living in step with the head, we'll pray what he's praying and the father can't but answer his prayer. When you and I pray apart from the head, we ask amiss every single time. What, what should we be praying in this election? God, uh, uh, everybody, uh, all these Christians are nationalistic and we're all into nationalism and all that. No, we're not. The 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 majority of the body of Christ, I believe, is catching what the Holy Spirit's saying. They may not understand all of it, but we're praying into something because Jesus is the head, is doing something. I'm gonna end with this. The best the best, one of the best illustrations I can give you about the headship of Jesus, I want to challenge you comes in the book of revelations when we see that jesus writes letters to seven churches that he's actively leading i, I don't know what you've been taught these aren't dispensations they are, there's not a laodicean church age none of that stuff these were seven now and again prophecy has enduring applications in every generation right but what i'm saying that when this was originally written It was written to seven actual churches in seven actual locations. And Jesus was speaking into the literal situation at the church. And we catch a glimpse into Jesus' leadership in every ecclesia. I'm I'm going to highlight three of them. But I would challenge you to go back and read that from the standpoint that you can see and catch a glimpse of how Jesus is actually leading every one of His ecclesia. He says to Ephesus, he gives them a lot of good, encouraging, uplifting things. He says, you're doing this right. But then he gets to 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, but this I do have against you, that you've departed from your first love. Therefore, remember what high state you have fallen from and repent. Do the deeds you did at first. And so what was he saying? Because Jesus was the head, his headship was calling them back and he was speaking into the life of the church of Ephesus. And he was calling them back into essentially where they were out of sync with him and that the way that we come into synchronicity with Jesus is always through the doorway of repentance. And repentance, by the way, is not just saying you're sorry It's realigning back under the rule of God. In Smyrna, he says, Do not be afraid. He doesn't give them a lot of corrections, but because they are in sync with his headship, what does Jesus do? He prophetically begins to warn them about what they're getting ready to experience. That's not judgment. That's a church that's walking in tune with the Holy Spirit and they're listening to his voice. What does he say? Don't be afraid of the things you're about to suffer. The devil is about to have some of you thrown in prison so that you may be tested and you will experience suffering for 10 days. Remain faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. That's some real prophecy right there. And what's Jesus saying? Hey, Smyrna, I'm just, I'm telling you as the head of the church, persecution's coming, and I'm telling you ahead of time, and I'm acknowledging it and allowing it to happen. And what he's saying here is, now we don't, we don't have a total glimpse into the mind of God, but what we do have is an understanding that in every one of the ecclesia where Jesus is head, he is speaking into the life and the purpose and the destiny of that church, just like he's speaking into the purpose and the destiny of heart of the Father. And lastly, in Pergamum, he says this, the one who has an ear better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what he's saying that is that the church, the one where Jesus is the head, Constantly has her ear poised toward the throne room to hear what Jesus is saying to the churches. All right, I'm going to leave you with this thought. And then I want to call, I want to do something this morning. But the church of 2021, I'm going to just run through these, I'm not even going to elaborate, has to really do several things. The first of which, the church of 2021, has to realign with the head. I'm talking about we have to spend time praying and where necessary, repenting and coming back into the place where Jesus is the head. And again, that can only happen when you and I are willing to remove ourselves as the center point and to put Jesus and to reestablish him back as the center point. Now that's not to assume that I'm correcting Heart of the Father for not doing that. But I'm telling you there are many churches in America right now that if they do not do this, their doors will be closed by the end of 2021. Because a church where Jesus is no longer the head is no longer useful. They're no longer a light. They're no longer salt. All right. Number two. We have to realign with the head. And this is part of and if you recognize this, there's a little red brochure out on the foyer somewhere, if you haven't seen it already. A church, we exist to be a church where Jesus is the center. That's in the vision. That's what we are actively working for right now. Number two, we have to realign with the body. What does that sound like here at Heart of the Father? That sounds like covenant covenant community that means that it, it, man if i could i'd spend another hour trying to compel you and convince you that the only way this works will you listen to me the only way we get community covenant community the oneness of community is when every single one of you purpose in your heart that you are no longer going to be an audience member Can I just say it this way at the risk of making you mad? If all you do is come to a church service, you're doing it wrong. So we have to realign with the body. That means I have to take my place. I have to discern by the Holy Spirit. And in conjunction with established leaders, I have to work with and find and come into my function in the body. And your function isn't a seat with your name on it. Your function is the well I was thinking about this this morning, I'm a brag on her. How many can I just say this? Now this is not indictment Don't get mad at me, but just make it provocative and take it in and repent. All right? How many of you can honestly say now, I know this is sort of anecdotal, but how many of you can honest, honestly can say that you know Linda Purdy sitting over here? How many of you really know the well that's on the inside of her? How many of you have taken the time to say there's a woman of God who's faithful here most of the time when the doors are open, who in the most some of the most simple and practical ways just serves the Lord? But how many of us have taken the time from our busyness to value who she is as a woman of God? Look look around you. How, How many of you have taken the time? I'm so busy, then stop it. You're out of order if you're too busy for the body, you're sinfully too busy. Because again, our greatest expression of walking with Christ as the head is that he always calls us to the body. Always. There was a fad, oh, you know, God's calling me to the wilderness. And that was code language for he's calling me away from the body. No, that wasn't God. That was a demon. Because I don't see anywhere in Scripture where the Lord sends you away from the body. I see everywhere in Scripture where he calls you to it. And most often, the things that will cause your heart to become divided, whether it's church hurt or something else, is gonna be the very thing where you find some of your greatest maturity in it. All right, lastly, third, we've gotta move from being audience to shareholders. The word koinonia, where we get the word fellowship, the fellowship of his suffering. Acts 2:42 they fellowship together. Koinonia, one of the best ways to understand koinonia is not fellowship, it's shareholders. That means that the relationship that defines you and I is that you and I because we are connected and called to the same ecclesia, we sh- we are first shareholders in the father's estate. I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are many rooms. We are shareholders with Christ. We are co-heirs. We share in his inheritance. Therefore, because of that, you and I are constantly at work expanding our father's estate. But secondarily to that, the quality of the relationship that you should be experiencing with one another is you are a shareholder with one another. That means you have a divine interest in what is going on in Aaron's life. That means you have a divine interest and you have a part to play in Lisa Bates's maturity. That means that without some of you, we cannot attain to the, to the level of maturity that Christ has for us because oftentimes that maturity comes through the weaknesses in other people. And if all we're going to do is live our lives by attending church services, we've missed the point entirely. Okay? Barry, you can clean that up next week. Okay, thanks. Um, We must, uh, and then the last one is we must live, we must be willing to come out of audience and into shareholding. And can I just say this? I'm going to add this tag, one last thing on here. What if God wants to call us out of church service mentality? What do I mean by that? It's okay if you don't show up today, Holy Spirit, because our order of service is going to carry you. And we've learned how to do a service even when you're not here. I'm not trying to be negative, but what I'm trying to say is Israel encamped around the mountain and God's voice thundered from it. And what I'm not dissing is necessarily how we do it, but I'm what I am calling attention to and challenging us to come out of is this very passive idea that what we're called to do on a Sunday morning is for you to come in here and experience the worship that's happening up here. Notice I didn't say worship, because most of what we do is we're experiencing what they're doing. And what if... What if we stop this mentality of them entertaining and providing us this avenue? What if we come in with the mentality that these guys are going to open the door to heaven and we're all going to walk through it together? What, what if it's not about who's going to step up and give the prophetic word necessarily today, but it's about we've come together at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning we're gathering around Jesus and we're eagerly expecting him to speak and reveal. And you know what, what will happen? I believe, now this is my personal conviction, that when worship and assemblies reach heaven, intercession becomes seamless with worship. That you have both and they're, they're seamlessly operating together because the head is speaking to us and we are responding back by speaking back to him. And so there's an exchange of conversation. And then lastly, I wanna call us to living in this kingdom, in this earth, with our gaze on another one. Hebrews says in verse 13 that these all died in faith, "...without having received the things promised, but they saw in them in the distance, and welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In fact, if they had been thinking of the land that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return." So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you with one thing. I know it's a little late. I've probably gone a a little longer than I should have. But I believe you've heard the word of the Lord today. And so I want to give you an opportunity. Now, I know we we fall into these patterns. But I, I do want to do something in these few closing moments for heart of the Father. And I want to challenge you really to two things. I want to challenge you as an individual to realign back with Jesus the head if you're out of alignment. And some of you, I I believe right now, he's already been speaking to you. The moment we start talking about it, the Holy Spirit started bearing witness with your spirit. That means that you orient your life around the Son of God, not yours. That means that the places in our lives that are out of order and not oriented around Christ who is the preeminent one, Colossians 1.18, that in all things, he would have the preeminence. And so in that, I wanna challenge us to come back to Jesus being the preeminent one. And lastly, I wanna close this morning, and I wanna challenge every single one of you to take a step out of the Christianity that you lived in 2020, that is in, that, that anywhere it was individualistic and centered around you that we repent and that we come out of that and that this morning we enter into 2021 this week having made a solid commitment to embrace this body as a covenant community. How many of you be willing to do that? All right, so this is what I want to do. Now, again, there's there's no meant to be pressure or condemnation or anything like that. But if, if the Lord has authentically called you here, then I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to come to the front and I want you to join the brothers and sisters that God has called you to do covenant with. And I want you to take a moment and I want you to put, on, put your hands on their shoulders. If COVID is a concern for you, then don't feel, don't feel um, shamed at all for not doing this. But, but why do we have people come to the front? Because we want you to take an action of faith where your faith begins to contact something that's, that's pulling you out of the status quo. And so we come up front, not to wear badges or anything, but we come up front and we join a body and we become bound together and knit in the spirit, the bond of peace, the unity of the spirit. So would you be willing to do that this morning? I'm not even gonna have musicians come up. But if that's in your heart and you are willing to come into and to make the commitment to come into covenant community. And what this means is that you're no longer gonna be that audience member that just comes and sits that you are going to actively seek out to find your place in this body and to find your place in being a shareholder with one another and that you're going to take active responsibility to begin to see the people and to know the people. And one of the primary ways that you can do this, shameless plug, is get involved in the home groups for the next two months. Because the reason why we're doing this is to give you the opportunity to begin to establish spiritual relationships with people you don't know. All right, now if that's you, would you come to the front right now? And I'm going to pray over us, and then I'll get us out of here. If you're visiting and part of another church, then I would encourage you to be willing to make this same commitment to the place that you call home. Nowhere in scripture are we called to be audience members. We are called to be active participants that function in an ecclesia. So if you, if you aren't conscious and you're okay, would you grab the hand of someone next to you? If you're not okay with that, just let them know. It's all good. But I want to call this body, and I want to call you into before the Lord, and I want to challenge us all right now to take our place. That means that the greatest thing that you have to offer to one another, you listen to me, is your time. Yes. I don't have time. You're too busy. Stop it. If you don't have time for the body, you don't love the body. All right, so, far, so I, again, you can clean this up next week. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to pray. So I want you, if this is in your heart, I'm going to lead us in one prayer. And then I'm gonna ask you to close out by by praying for the person next to you, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for oneness. Thank you for heart of the Father. Lord, we, we take a moment. We see into the prophetic destiny of this church. We say that heart of the Father was birthed to become a revelation of the Father's heart. We thank you that you are moving closer, moving this body closer into being a body that manifests the Father's heart. We thank you that you are putting within the hearts of every one of these people standing up here a glimpse of the Father's heart that causes them to come into realignment with you and to come into realignment with this body. Lord, we take responsibility now for the people that we're standing next to. We offer our time, first of all, as a sacrifice to you And we we offer it as an expression of love to other people. We thank you for divine wisdom and revelation that's flowing into each person's life in this room, giving them the understanding and the leading of the Holy Spirit of who to begin to share their lives with and to begin to actively pursue as an expression of the Father's heart to them. Lord, we repent for being an audience. We repent for embracing and being influenced by consumer culture, by consumer Americanism that that sees church as a religious product. Lord, we, we turn away and we come into, right now, alignment with the head of the church who is gifting us and empowering us to supernaturally love your body. We release right now Grace, Graces by the Spirit, divine empowerments to begin to authentically express the Father's heart through covenant community. Lord, I release right now that you would drop into every single person standing up here right now into their spirit, divine graces that empower them and that equip them to effectively minister to the body. Lord, I pray right now that you would begin to, in the night hours and in the day hours and in every hour, begin to point their gaze toward their covenant community here and to begin to be that witness and that expression of the Father's heart. That 2021 would truly be a year where you pull heart of the Father closer toward heaven. You're pulling this church to heaven. You're pulling us into heavenly authority. You're pulling us into a heavenly witness of the Holy Spirit. You're pulling us into the greater mind and the heart of God so that we can partner with you in the earth to partner and pray into what you're praying and to do and to become the hands and feet of what we see the Father doing prophetically. Lord, I pray, just take a few moments, and I pray for Brandon, Dave, and Barry. And I say, Lord, we decree over their lives right now a divine release of the wisdom of God and the understanding and blueprints that allow them to establish Jesus as the head in a greater way at heart of the Father. The 2021 will truly be marked through their leadership as they represent and submit to your leadership, Jesus, that you would gift them with a divine wisdom of the heart and the mind of God that enables them to lead this church right into the throne room and to reconnect at every level where there isn't a true connection, Jesus as the head. We thank you for, for every single person in this body, and we mark it right now in the spirit. We draw the line in the sand, and we say, Holy Spirit, this is the year where we step up and we, play, we take our place in what you're doing. We absolutely refuse to be uh, status quo. We absolutely refuse, and we cast off laziness. We cast off weariness. We cast off self-centeredness. We cast off self, uh, selfishness. And we come back into agreement with what you are doing and saying in the earth, Jesus. And we thank you for the grace, not our own desire, not our own ability, but we thank you that the power of the Holy Spirit is bringing this body into greater oneness through our submission to you. And Lord, I declare... That it's not by might, nor by, my, nor by power, but by your Spirit. And Lord, we speak that over this church, that 2021 is marked by the Spirit. That this, this entire year, we will walk through and, and be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you will lead us into every part of the purpose and destiny of God for heart of the Father. And then also, one last thing we pray, Lord, that you don't just turn our gaze inward and upward, but that you would help us to discern and partner with what you're doing in the earth, that you would help us to see the hand of God in elections and in pandemics and in all the things that are happening in the earth because you are actively sustaining and holding together all things. So help us to partner and understand what the mind and the heart of God is and then help us to begin to come into partnership and agreement and to do our part in the earth just like the cloud of witnesses and heaven is in agreement with the high priest who's praying right now. So I want you to take a few minutes, just take the next person next to you and I want you to begin to pray over their life. It doesn't have to be long and drawn out, but would you do that? Would you, just kind of like a little mini prayer circle, but would you take the person next to you or let the Lord lead you and just begin to pray and bless the person standing there? I mean, pray, let the Lord pray through you. What's God saying about their life? What's God wanna do in their life? It doesn't have to be crazy and big and epic and, and, and romantic or poetic. Just begin to pray over them and see who they are as a daughter of God. Lord, we just thank you that you open our eyes right now to so allow us to see the purpose in the person.